Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. We have such sights to show you. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric over there. Hello. That's Vanessa over there. Hello. That makes me Kelly. We are doing another Zoom recorded episode, partially because we are still snowed in, but also partially because, guys, I got COVID. No. So fun. <clears throat> uh, uh. It made sense that we should not do this in person, uh, at <laughs> least until the next time we would normally record when I should be completely free of all of this bullshit. It was, um, it was, you know, the Christmas gathering, just about everybody has come down with it now. And, uh, we're all showing the same symptoms and it's basically just a, you know, the worst cold you would want to have. I had a fever for a little bit, it broke. Um, and now I've got a scratchy throat. So you're going to see and hear me coughing and I'm going to try and mute when that happens. So nobody has to actually deal with it. And Eric doesn't have to edit it all out. But that is the situation. So, such a uh, brave face. <laughs> a lot, a lot of very smart people say this is the only way we get out of this thing is by everybody catching it and us getting antibodies and, and getting past this finally. So, guess what, motherfuckers? I'm up on you two. <laughs> I know our our time will eventually come. It is. It's not. It's not if. It's when. It's more like. Flu or cold now, except for I've heard COVID is now mixed with the flu, so that could be a, a new weird thing that could be on new the horizon. COVID babies, That's... double up. It's, oh. it's always kind of been. There's never really going to be a a vaccine that takes care of it. So we should either all get used to getting a shot every year and dealing with it, or or just fucking dealing with it. I'll yeah. tell you this: as miserable as this week has been, um the reaction I had to my shot was much, much worse. So I'll go through this again. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I'll go through this again. Then that shot. That's oh. weird. I, I had no reaction to the shot. Well, a lightheadedness for about an hour. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, what this has allowed me besides um, just being completely snowed in, Danny Williford made a crack about misery, but Danny, it's more like the shining. Uh, <laughs> can't go anywhere. Um, it has allowed me to watch a bunch of shit. And when I say shit, I mean that in the absolute sense of the word. But one of the things I watched, and I want to argue with Eric about, is uh, the big one, Book of Boba Fett. Oh, shit. Not much of an argument going to happen here. You hated uh, it. I thought it was fine. So I didn't hate it. I just was so <laughs> disappointed. I realized, yeah. Eric, I have always said, the people who hate Star Wars most are Star Wars fans because yeah. mm -hmm. all they do is bitch constantly. And yeah. I, I don't feel like I've really ever done that. But uh, as you might know, I am a big Boba Fett fan. Oh, yeah. And um, I just was like, well, how did you turn this guy into the biggest wuss on the planet? <laughs> the planet Tatooine, I mean. Um, but you didn't enjoy his origin story? Slash I don't want to know survival. his origin story. I'm yeah. so pissed off about that. I'm just like, look. This is part of his mystique, right? He somehow survived the Sarlacc pit. Yeah. And then they just show us, oh, I guess it wasn't that big a deal. Yeah. 
turned on a fire, drug out of the sand. I'm right. Right. And now they're going to show us that, you know, his whole thing of um, how he rises through the ranks of the Tuscan Raiders. I don't need to know any of that shit. I know that it happened. And that's what makes it cool is that somehow it happened. Yeah. When you explain it all away, it no longer is cool. That's the problem with Star Wars is like, what more stories are you going to tell about the most beloved characters other than explaining why the Millennium Falcon has like a fucking thing on, you know, dangling from the <laughs> the mirror. That's, like, yeah. it, it's like they don't know. I, I have been 0% excited about this. I'm not like a huge Boba Fett fan. And it was much like how I, how Eric felt. It was fine. I don't know. I, I, it's I just not want for better. me. I want better storytelling. Um, I want a new story. Like that's why Mandalorian's so great. Is yeah. it's not treading ground. It's yeah. new. Sure. And then when when Boba showed up in the Mandalorian and he's carrying the gaffy stick and he's doesn't have his armor and all that, you're just like, holy shit, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Because something happened. I don't need to know what happened. This guy fucking had something go on, and now he's the baddest motherfucker in the galaxy. But once you explain why he's the baddest motherfucker in the galaxy, he's a little less bad. Yeah. Well, the Star Wars suffered from that a lot. Like everybody losing their shit when Darth Maul got killed off quickly. Well, what's his backstory? Or that yeah. red dude that got killed in, I think, Last Jedi, who was sort of like in the Emperor's seat. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like, well, it's his, it doesn't, what does it matter? You know, he's the biggest villain there right now, and now he's dead. So it's been a real problem. And I guarantee, <laughs> I guarantee, fucking tea, you know, in the Sarlacc pit, he he cuts that stormtrooper saying and sucks his air out and everything right. so he can live. Really cool scene. Uh, we all realized there were no star, stormtroopers on Jabba's thing, right? So that stormtrooper right. came from some time before then. We'll get a fucking prequel movie about him. <laughs> I fucking guarantee it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the Jawas that found C three PO and yes, CD will get their spinoff show. <clears throat> Star yeah. Wars, you're making me fucking hate Star Wars. God I think, I think uh, Vanessa had the best point. Do new, take the world and do new stories. Yeah, they tie into the world that we already know. You can have Boba Fett show up. You don't have to have him have a spinoff series. Yeah, you just yeah. have him show up occasionally. It's uh, a wide universe. Like it's huge. You can do all kinds of stories. You can do, you can revisit planets that we've already seen, which is again, something the Mandalorian did really well or species that we've already seen, but you don't need to fucking revisit like classic characters and explain every, how do you get the dent in his skin? How do you get that bird mark? How do you get that tear in his jeans? Let's go on a two hour adventure. Or if you want to do that, do it with the comics and the books. Sure, yeah. you, know, you don't have to dump hundred million dollars in a retread character unless you make it really, really freaking cool. And so far, Han Solo movie wasn't exactly a home run. The best part of him was the guy who showed up in the middle and with Lando and didn't, you know, wasn't a main character, but was the coolest guy on the sh- screen or a Lando just... movie where Han Solo shows up for 10 minutes, that would have been fucking great. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You no, know, something like that. I'll, I will argue your point, Vanessa, though, argue against your point that it's a big universe. It is clearly not. Everybody is somehow related <laughs> to everybody in this universe. It is a very small universe. Apparently. It's yeah, like the five point. planets we know of, and that's it. Yeah. And everybody's got a family member or somebody who killed their family member on one of those planets. Yeah. So. Anyway, all right, that's what I saw. 
Well, I equally saw something kind of disappointing to bring in the new year. Um, I watched Disney's Encanto, which I've been hearing a lot of positive things about. Um, it's uh, Lynn manuel Miranda. Oh, is that the animated family, mm-hmm. uh, yes. magic families movie? Yep, the magic okay. family who live in a magic house and they have magic powers. And I was like, okay, well, I know what it's going to be about. It's going to be about like the one daughter who doesn't get magic powers from the magic house and she has to um, figure out what her worth is. And when everyone else loses their powers, she's the one with the worth because she knows how to do basic shit. No, that is not what that movie is. Really? That, That's what the, the trailer was. <laughs> I know. They lose their powers for maybe three minutes in total. It's like missing an act somewhere in there. It's like part of the second act and part of the third act is just not there. Um, It felt really, really short. It felt incredibly truncated. The songs were like fine. I just, everything resolved so fast in such a weird way that I was like, wait, what happened in this movie? So really glad I didn't pay for it. I will say that. Is it free on Disney? It is free on Disney. I still might skip it. Yeah, that, <laughs> that sounds it. weird. It was weird. I well, I thought from all the hype that it was going to be really, really good, and it was just incredibly uh, subpar. Like, I don't have high expectations for Disney movies; they're not typically my thing. But you know, like Pixar is typically incredible, and yeah. you know, Disney usually. Even what was it? In, is it not Enchanted, but the one with the blue people in the Dungeons and Dragons style world? Yeah. Even that had like a good heart oh, yeah. to it. I, I still, like that one. Yeah, I teared oh. up. I got a little cryy. I didn't expect anything from that. And this was like nothing, could not hold a candle to it. So is this that, um, is this a the animation style, Pixar or Disney? Disney. Oh, okay. I got to admit, I kind of like seeing that old style animation, though. I'll check it out. Yeah. And then I'll probably love it. And then I'll yell at you in the next episode. <laughs> I look forward to it. I would love to, for you to tell me at what point it becomes a, a real story <laughs> with like an actual like progression. That'd be really cool. One of the things I learned working at Suncoast is there are Disney fans that love everything they do. It doesn't matter what it is yeah. or how crappy it is. They still love it. And, uh, so that's probably why there's a lot of good reviews out there for it. <laughs> I would say it's usually, it's got to just be humans with children, right? They're like, I need content for my no. kid to sit no. in front of. No, nope. it, like mm-hmm. actual. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not one of those. <laughs> yeah, no, no. We, we do several of them by, at least by sight, whenever a new Disney movie came out, we know who would be showing up. Oh, my God. So to continue the disappointment level of films, Oh, God. I'm going to chime in full-throatedly with Vanessa Uh on antlers being really bad. Yeah. You you didn't like it either? No, it's boring. So, man, I am so glad that I have not watched this because when (laughs) Vanessa says it, I'm like, "Eh, I'm probably going to love this. (laughs) (laughs) But then uh, also Mike Davis from the Lovecraft e-zine, he was like, my short review, skip. I was like, yeah. oh, and then to hear Eric, who, um, who, as you know, I line oh, up with completely on <laughs> films. <right. laughs> uh, but wow. So what do you guys think? So holding it back as long as they did, then that must have been a contractual thing. Yeah. 
they'd have to, to have a theater. Exactly. Cause, oh, sure, yeah. cause I kept thinking, man, they must really believe in this movie to keep pushing it back this long. They were, they're like, we want this in theaters, but you're saying pass. It was just, I mean, I watched it, what, a week, week and a half ago, maybe. And I'm sitting here looking up the IMB, trying to remember what happens beyond like a moment or two. Uh, and there's just nothing significant. I mean, Carrie Russell's good. And she does what she does. But Yeah, the actors seemed really good. Yeah. Um, but do you remember the shed scene, Eric? Because it happened three times. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it makes me mad. It's just yeah. It's is this? I was trying to find out. Is this a two four? No. Okay. It's it's somebody. It's produced by somebody that wished they worked for a two four. Well, I thought the um, um, I just, thought the real interest on our end was like the director or the writer or something. What had he done before this? Or take a quick look here. Scott Cooper. I don't recognize the name. See, he did uh, um, Out of the Furnace, uh, similar style movies, Crazy Heart. Yeah, I don't see anything on his list that makes me go, wow, how is this not good? <laughs> and if I remember, Vanessa, you said that like the, the creature design was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Creature. And Eric, do you agree with that? Oh, yes. All right, so I'm renting this and I'm fast forwarding to what, 78 minutes in? And <laughs> it like two or three times so yeah just keep keep the visual on as you're fast forwarding so you can like pause it'll be pretty clear when it's coming up yeah it showed up earlier than i was expecting but it is yeah that part's cool as hell yeah it's like it's shot in such a strange all the storytelling in it felt really i can see why you said boring Eric, because there's the, there's no real drama in the way that the story is portrayed. It's like, why is this chick always with her brother on all of his police investigations? Yes. Why is she allowed to be on the scene? Right. <laughs> like, I'm an elementary school teacher. I must be here for some reason. Okay, cool. Yeah. He's arresting somebody outside the store. You should probably not be here right now. Go, go away. <laughs> I, oh, I well. still hear our rattlesnake friend. So whatever that is, is still coming through. So funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> so one of the other things I um, got into was, uh, okay. So if, if you heard our, uh, our live show at Emerald city, you know that I'm a big X-Men fan from that, uh, that time period. I started reading X-Men with issue 100 and I kept reading until like issue 200. So a big chunk of time and artists and everything came through there. And I have been trying to kind of go back and read, you know, uh, via Kindle and uh, Comixology versions, new X-Men and trying to catch up on what the hell's going on. And it's a lot of it is really bad and everything. I finally had decided, fuck it. I give up. I'm going back to the old comics I used to have, and I'm just going to start reading those again. And that has been really cool. But I just want to point out right now that, um, the X-Men Masterworks, which collect like 10 issues at a time and and uh, and the uh, miniseries that were going on at the time, they, they put it all in the right stuff. Those are a buck 99 a piece right now. Oh, so for the digital versions. Right. So I just went through and bought like, you know, the entire 100 issue run that I had back when I was reading it for good. And I've been reading it since I've been sick. And 
man, I love it. I just got into Eric. I know you were a fan. I just got into um, the first issue of Paul Smith's run on the X-Men. Yeah, that's pretty good. (laughs) That guy, boy. I mean, everybody loves John Byrne. Everybody knows how great he is. Paul Smith, when when he came on, I was just in love. And then he was gone. Like, he was only on there for 10 issues. So. Was that it? Yeah. Holy crap. So, but he made a big, big mark. At that time, you know, they got whoever they wanted for that particular book. You know. Yeah. They were just trying to figure out. Still there. Yeah. They were just trying to figure out, you know, who who the fans were going to stick with because right. burn was such a heavy hitter. And then, uh, and then they brought Dave Cochran back in, who was the one who helped create Phoenix and all of that stuff. And I forgot Cochran and Claremont, they created the brood. They created oh, the yeah. GR. They did all of the stuff that I love. So I have really been, uh, enjoying going through all of that. Nice. Comic books, yo. comic books tell me about it uh part of my new year's resolution for january is not buying more comics or hopefully anything if i can help it online um and just enjoying what i've got because there are probably 50 comics i'm trying to support small businesses and uh it's gotten out of control um well uh, i'm going to talk about another film that i saw that was kind of disappointing that also has singing in it did either of you guys see west side story no but i'm a big fan of the original so i don't think i want to see this one i I think that is probably in the top three of movies i can't believe i've never seen oh the new or the old the original yeah no same i also have not seen the original oh you went straight to the remake come on (laughs) oh it's in theaters why not um well i will say you don't sound like you were very impressed i don't i think the problem is that um so this has been kind of a flop right a lot of people are very very surprised because spielberg is involved and it's got like a huge like set pieces beautiful numbers music blah 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 but it feels so out of touch with our current world that it was really really it felt like a weird thing to adapt like, I'm like, I don't know how we're supposed to be able to relate to this or feel like nostalgic about this. It's a depressing fucking story. Is it, um, is it period piece or is it updated? Period piece. Okay. Well. Yeah. It's, it's basically kind of trying to right some of the wrongs of the original by casting like actually people from um, Cuba and actually trying to have people who are, you know, the, the right nationalities and the right roles. But the casting for the most part is really good, except for the lead male played by Ansel, last name I've forgotten from Baby Driver. Eggle Horn or Ankle Hart. Yeah, he's... <laughs> I just do not remember that. <laughs> he is god-awful. Is he? Oh, no. I know, which sucks because um, I was really excited because I love Baby Driver and I was really giving him the benefit of the doubt through most of the movie, but his dancing is great, but his singing is every time he opens your mouth, his mouth, you're like, Oh no, please don't, please don't. Like everyone else is going to outpace you by miles. Um, and then at the end of the movie, uh, my boyfriend looks over at me and he's like, yes, I was too bad about Ansel. Right. And I was like, what? And he's like, Oh, (laughs) 
you didn't hear about the Me Too with Ansel? And I was like, no, what happened? And then Googled what happened and was like, well, now I really don't like this movie. And they cast him and filmed with him after they already knew about this um, thing that he was involved in, this accusation around him, and tried to cover it up and pretend like everything was fine. And that made me even more mad. And I was like, you guys deserve exactly what you get. (laughs) Anyway, that's my my soapbox. I'll I'll be here all night. I'm not familiar with his Me Too, but I think that it's interesting that after working in a movie with uh, Kevin, what's his name? Spacey. Spacey and Baby Driver, that you would go, I should probably mind my P's and Q's. Uh, You would think so. I think this might have happened before Baby Driver, and it just Uh, came out later. It's um, some really, really bad behavior with, I think, a girl who might have been underage. Um, You know, he's underage, isn't he? He can. How old is he? Old enough. (laughs) Yeah, anyway, it it, it left me with a bad taste. I already had a bad taste in my mouth from the film. It felt like completely pointless. Um, I would love to see the original, though. I think that'd be really fun. Um, But it it felt like pointless on top of pointless. My mom introduced me to the original and then would get a kick out of me wandering into the kitchen, you know, crouch down, snap my fingers, (laughs) singing, once you're a shark, you're always a shark. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Shark, shark. Hmm. (laughs) Oh, let's see. I think I'll do a comic book since we started that because I've been reading a really freaking weird one. I don't know when it was published, but uh, as I'm reading it using uh, Hoopla, uh, borrowing movie on uh, library books on the uh, phone, as The Immortal Hulk. Oh, sure. Where he goes to hell. Oh. And, you know, like he can't be killed. I mean, he's immortal. It is crazy. It's almost a horror comic for the first 20 some odd issues. Oh, shit. With him going to hell. And how, how long is it? <laughs> it's it's an ongoing, it looked like an ongoing series. I'm in volume six of the collected editions. And it's uh, five to seven per book, I think. So quite a while. There's still at least four more collected uh, columns at least. So I don't know when it went on, but whew, it's, uh, it's, it's actually dipping a little right now. But I'm not sure. <laughs> Hopefully it'll sustain. But for a while, when it was just crazy, it's sort of like, um, I don't know, Lynch or somebody like that. Let's write a Hulk story. <laughs> oh. Well, you have my attention. Um, just to derail you a little bit, because yeah. um, I know you're a huge fan. There's a Beta Ray Bill miniseries, mm-hmm. a six-issue series by Donnie Cates that I really fucking love. That Ooh. I think it just came out. I. I just read it digitally, but I oh. I meant to tell you about it while I was reading it, and uh, and it's just fucking great. The art is really weird. It's a really kind of like that Wonder Woman um, aftermath story or whatever oh, that after was. Earth. After Earth, yeah, it's really gritty art. Uh, definitely, yeah. cool. I will check that out for sure, and I'll be checking out that Immortal Hulk for sure once I get through the next ninety issues of Old X Men. Yeah, it's out there digitally. No rush. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, how about we take a little break, guys? And um, 
we've got my topic next, which is movies from or set in Los Angeles. Focus. Discipline. Respect. Realistic self-defense. If you want to know why our Wing Chun Kung Fu program is the best around for kids, teens, and adults, all you have to do is call. California Academy of Martial Arts. Open seven days a week with day and evening classes. Call now for a free consultation. Wing Chun Kung Fu. The style of Ip Man and Bruce Lee. We have returned. Fuck. Um, <laughs> this was my topic. And I like kind of blowing out these wide ranging topics where you, know, you can get whatever genre you want. I just wanted it to be set in Los Angeles. Now, with that in mind, I picked a really groovy little movie I'd never even heard of called Blue Sunshine. 1967. Doctors and scientists predicted it. Blue Sunshine. Did you ever hear of the words Blue Sunshine? I remember. Name of Blue Sunshine. Let it down slow and steady. Blue sunshine. It could happen to you. Ah. Anybody? I recognize the name. I'm not. I think you might recognize the poster, which has got a bald woman with her eyes wide open, lying sideways. Oh, yeah. And then these, and it's like blue with these white lines going through it. Yes. Yes. That's a pretty striking poster. Yeah. It's from 1977, a budget of $550,000. I could find no box office for this. Rotten Tomato critics have this at 80% and the audience at 46%. Ooh. Yeah, that's a pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty crazy difference, <laughs> considering which way it goes. Hmm. Uh, it stars Zalman King. You guys probably would recognize him from Galaxy of Terror, but he's done a ton of television work. And then he has directed 28 things, including Wild Orchid, Two Moon Junction. Oh. He's He's got 28 producer credits, including Nine and a Half Weeks, The Red Shoe Diaries, and a ton of documentaries. This guy is like in the industry. Yeah. And it also stars uh, Deborah Winters, who has a bunch of TV movie credits like Tarantulas, The Deadly Cargo, <laughs> and uh, The Winds of War, Little Girl Lost, stuff like that. And then a bunch of, um, you know, no-name actors. This is a very low-budget thing. So it starts at this uh, groovy party in a nice house on the outskirts of L.A. And this place is very rustic. It's almost like a uh, like a log cabin. There's a There's a big fireplace with a roaring fire in it and 
and that is important, Charlie. Um, <laughs> and it's a it's an adult style party, so it's not a rager or anything like that. It's a bunch of adults that are standing around and chatting with each other and having cocktails and all that stuff. And this one dude decides he's going to impress his chick by singing a Frank Sinatra song. And uh, and I can tell you that that works, guys. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> at one point, one of his buddies is kind of messing around with him, and he, he grabs his hair and pulls it off, and it's a wig. And the guy is, like, shockingly bald underneath. And I say <laughs> shockingly because everybody in the party is just like, what? So you can tell they've known this guy for a while, had no idea he was bald. <laughs> and uh, he he wigs out on him. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> He he runs out. He's, you know, super embarrassed and, and freaks out and runs out, runs down the street. So as the party disperses, our hero, Jerry, <laughs> he says goodbye to his buddies and his girlfriend and says he's going to go look for the, the dude who ran off. And he's very worried about him. He's like, you know, had no idea that he was going through whatever he's going through. And he seemed very embarrassed and I feel really bad about it. So um, he goes off looking for him. Inside the house, there are three women who are, sorry, I just got a new cough drop in my mouth. I'm feeling very lubricated right now. (laughs) And um, there's three women in the house. They're talking about, you know, wow, did you have any idea he was bald? And one of them was like, I've known him forever and he's not bald. This is something that happened just recently. Um, but while they're in there, the bald dude shows up again and he is pissed and, uh, in a pretty insane scene, he, he brutally attacks them. And though they are all fighting him, he grabs one of the chick and literally shoves her head first into this roaring fire and holds her there while she's screaming. And the other two girls are beating on him and everything. Then he manages to kill the other two girls. Also, Jerry comes back just in time to see, you know. He's like, oh, my God, he starts pulling this dead girl out of the fire and he sees the other dead women. And then the bald dude jumps out at him and chases him out in the street. They have a little tussle. And Jerry is able to kind of push him away from him. And he gets run over by a big delivery truck. And to the delivery truck driver, it looks like Jerry just pushed this guy out in front of him. He starts saying, you know, hey, what are you doing? And all this stuff. And Jerry, in a very bad moment of decision making, decides to make a run for it. So uh, the police show up there. They find the dead dude inside. Then they also find the dead women and they pin Jerry as their murder suspect. Right. So the hunt is on. Uh, The rest of the movie is Jerry on the run. Um, He's trying to put together all of these weird clues that are starting to explain what might have happened to his buddy. And he hears this news report about a similar thing happening the other night. Uh, Some some dude. I don't know where brutally murders his family and everything. They show a picture of the dude. He is also shockingly bald. You guys. <laughs> so I need you to put this connection together. Hmm. Um, Keep going. I'll, I'll get there. So he starts, <laughs> he's, he's on the run. He's talking to his girlfriend who is saying, you know, you need to turn yourself into the police. And he's like, no way. He's talking to his buddy. Who's a doctor friend who knew the guy that, um, that killed the the three women. He knew him from school. In fact, everybody knew him from school. They all went to Stanford together. Um, Alongside this candidate who is running uh, commercials through the movie, who is running for Congress. 
So um, they start putting this stuff together and like, what is, what's the, the clues here that everybody here at Stanford knew this guy. Then it turns out that the guy who killed his family, they also know him. Jerry didn't know him, but they also knew him and he went to Stanford with him. So they're putting together the pieces of this uh, bizarre little puzzle. And it turns out that it all rotates back to Stanford and um, this this batch of LSD they all took (laughs) called Blue Sunshine. Um, And and this is, you know, 10 years ago. So whatever is happening has, has, has suddenly reacted inside them and it's making them do this stuff. You know, it's just it's just a bunch of this now as you start realizing what's going on and he's going to try and talk to other people and you start seeing people acting weird and then having no hair and shit. Uh, there is a pretty great scene of a, of a bald mom who is chasing her children to the house with a butcher knife. And you guys know how much I dig child endangerment. So I was just <laughs> like, this is fucking great. And there's also a pretty decent climax where Jerry needs to... Uh, defeat the person who's trying to kill him but he also needs to keep the guy alive so that he can give the police proof that he wasn't guilty of the murders in the first place so he can't just because every time he comes up against one of these guys they end up dead so he's like you know i've I've only got this one guy left it also has an amazing text at the end of the screen that says that a government task force has discovered that there are still 250 doses of blue sunshine <laughs> that are unaccounted for. I'm like, fuck yes, there are. <laughs> um, so for an ultra low budget, little shocker, it's actually pretty good. It has got tons of Los Angeles streets in the seventies and you know how much I love that shit. So I'm just like, Oh my God, look at how sleazy this city is. <laughs> it was just in heaven. I have some trivia. This is available on prime. You guys, uh, you know, so, so go out and watch this. Um, the street that was used for the first neighborhood would later be the same street used for a nightmare on Elm street. It is not the same house or anything, but that is the same street. According to Jeff Laverman, I didn't even get into Jeff Laverman. It was written and directed by Jeff Laverman. He did Squirm, Remote Control, The NeverEnding Story 3, Satan's Little Helper. Oh, really? what's our What's our connection to Satan's Little Helper? The right? owners of Scarecrow Video produced it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I knew that we somehow had some kind of in with these guys. Yeah. Okay. So according to director Jeff Lieberman, New York music clubs such as CBGB's would often screen the film, screen the film as backing visuals during performances of punk bands such as the Ramones, particularly one scene where there is an attack at a discotheque. He thinks that this was a way for these performers to shit on and express their overall disdain for the disco scene. Uh, Stephanie's two children in the film had to be dubbed by Lieberman's three-year-old daughter. The reason for this was the parents of both the child actors pulled them from the shoot after seeing the disturbing attack scene being shot, and they were (laughs) taken before they could be looped for any audio. (laughs) Uh, Originally, Lieberman wrote the film to be set in New York City, but the setting was changed to Los Angeles when the film's budget had to be cut, and that's all they could afford. I thought this was super interesting. So this was uh, 1977, I think, so shot in 76 or maybe even earlier since it's so low budget. The disco in the film's climax was actually a country Western bar in Los Angeles that was converted to look like a discotheque. At the time of the, of shooting the film, the disco craze hadn't yet reached the West coast. Oh, wild. 
Yeah. So that's why he said it in, or, you know, wrote it and said it in New York because of all this stuff going on, had to film in LA. And he's like, shit, there's not even a discotheque here. So I thought that was crazy. Um, Ann Cooper, the actress who adorns all the posters as the bald woman, also was in the cast of Blue Thunder, as well as the Sunshine Boys. Blue <laughs> Sunshine. Hmm? It all comes back. Thunder Boys. <laughs> uh, and then finally, in the commentary, director Jeff Lieberman said he directed Zalman King to act strange throughout the movie. Uh, Zalman is Jerry. To act strange throughout the movie so that viewers might think he could be the next killer. He said he wished he hadn't given him that direction, especially since King's character didn't graduate from Stanford like all the other killers. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> this is one of those movies that you hear about a lot. And you see yeah. it's like playing a, a midnight showing or something. And I'm, I've always been like, I, I don't want to see this. And this was a great chance for me to see it. Uh, big, big thumbs up from me. Nice. But, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I love these kind of bad movies with a lot of 70s architecture in them. Did this movie feel more like a horror film or like a suspense movie? What was the sort of genre that it fell under? It um, <clears throat> little of column A, little of column B, because when the people are bald, they're like crazed. They're like a weird zombie thing. They're, they're uh, like a rage zombie. Oh, wow. So they're just like, <laughs> completely monstrous. Wow. Well, that doesn't sound like anything I super want to check out, but I'm excited <laughs> that you enjoyed it. <laughs> all <laughs> people the 70s great um, uh, okay well I, I think we should stop torturing you and let your voice rest for a hot minute <laughs> and um, I'll jump into my LA movie which is something that you guys have both seen and probably everybody on planet earth except for me has seen <laughs> it's West Side Story all over again and that movie is uh, the 1993 film Demolition Man end of a century, ravaged by violence, a society of perfect order will arise. Criminals will be frozen and reprogrammed in cryogenic prisons. The prisoners are ice cubes. Their criminal instincts are being reprogrammed as they sleep. Aggression and deviant behavior will be totally eliminated. of which you have never seen in a bad time he was the worst i'm gonna love running this place but in the year 2032 this morning simon phoenix escaped from this cryo facility we are quite frankly not equipped to deal with the situation amidst a world of peace and calm we're police officers we're not trained for this kind of violence the fiendish Simon Phoenix apprehended back in the 20th. In the end, it took just one man, John Spartan. You mean the demolition man? The conditions of your parole are full reinstatement into the SAPD and immediate assignment to the apprehension of Simon Phoenix. Two mortal enemies. Just dropped in to say hi. From another time. Pass is over, John. Time for something new and improved. Oh, hell. On a future that isn't big enough for the both of them. Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes, Demolition Man. 
(laughs) Yeah. So I've been hearing for years to like go and check this out. And like, I always got it mixed up with Repo Man. I don't know why. I mean, I haven't seen either of them. It's like meh, whatever. Some movie with man in the title I haven't checked out. That's set in a crazy LA. I, I almost, I wish I'd seen it sooner, actually. This um, insane film for anyone who has not seen it. Um, it's got a 60% from critics and 66% from audience, which I think is unbelievably low, especially, especially for audience because the budget was somewhere between 45 and 77 million. It's hard to pin it down. I'm not sure why those numbers are so wildly diverse. Um, but the box office was 159. So it was a big hit. I saw that one in the theater. Well, well worth it. If it's yeah, if it's such a big hit, why why the lower you know sixty six percent audience? I feel like it should be more like a at least an eighty, if anything. But uh, director Marco Brambillo, he has eighteen films under his belt. Um, he only has one other feature film. This was his first feature. Uh, it was the other one was called Excess Baggage. Um, he also did a miniseries called Dinotopia, and the rest are all short films. He never did another feature film again after this. In excess baggage, I should say. Um, the writers, uh, there's actually a lot of writers on this <laughs> movie. It passed through many hands. Um, I believe it was it was an early pitch uh, script by one of them. I can't remember who. But that being said, um, Peter M. Lenkov, who has 21 uh, credits. He's a writer, producer, kind of combo. He did Son-in-Law, The Crow, Stairway to Heaven, Universal so- Soldier 2 and 3, um, and then a lot of La Femme Nikita. Uh, in his newer stuff, he's responsible for a lot of those horrible remakes, like Hawaii Five-0. He did 240 episodes, MacGyver, 94 episodes, and Magnum PI, 69 episodes. All of those, the new versions. Um, we also have on the writing staff, Robert Rianu, who has four uh, films under his belt, including Action Jackson, The Hitcher, and Tales from the Crypt, one episode. And then Daniel Waters, who has 12 writing credits. He's the most well-known heavy hitter here. He did Heathers, Hudson Hawk, Batman Returns, and the Heathers TV series. This film is starring a lot of people, a lot of incredible, incredible people. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, Little little up and coming uh, star. He's in an eighty eight things, uh, mostly films that have a lot of sequels, requels, <laughs> fourquels involved. Rocky one through nine, if you include Balbo and the Three Creeds. Uh, Rambo one through four. Expendables one through four. I know some of these. You're like, wait a minute, there's four Expendables. A lot of these are coming soon. Um, <laughs> Escape Plan one through three. Judge Dredd, Cobra, Suicide Squad. He was the voice of King Shark. I did not realize. Did a great job. And we will see him soon in Galaxy of the, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Um, Wesley Snipes has been in 71 things, uh, including White Men, White Men Can't Jump, Major League, Blade 1 through 3. He actually started off in All My Children. Who would have known? And a several-year stint in prison. Don't forget that. Yeah. Yes, I did. I was going to say he did kind of fall off the map for a while. Not sure <laughs> where he was. Hmm? Uh, yes, uh, was, was that for embezzlement or what did he do? Tax, tax evasion. Tax yeah. evasion. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Sandra Bullock 
it, I did not realize she was in this movie. I guess I was the only one. It was um, one of the ones that sort of shot her into fame. Yeah. yeah. She's adorable, too. She's so good in this. She's so sweet. Um, she has 59 credits to her name, but this is definitely an early one. This is right around the time of Love Potion number nine, which was the <laughs> first movie I saw her in. And I loved that movie. Do not rewatch it. It is not good in today's climate. Um, <laughs> she's also well-known for Speed, While You Were Sleeping, The Net, um, and more recently, Ocean's 8, I thought she was great in. Um, she's been in a couple other things that have come out recently that I haven't seen yet, but I will because she's fucking awesome. Um, Nigel Hawthorne is in this. He's been in 116 things. He is um, a stuffy UK guy in a lot of stuffy UK things, <laughs> mostly uh, UK movies and TV series, including a lot of Yes Minister and Madness of King George. Um, Benjamin Bratt. Is in this 67 credits, uh, 95 episodes of Law and Order. That's what I knew his face from. Um, <laughs> don't worry about the rest. All you have to know is that he's in Law and Order. Dennis Leary is in this movie, weirdly, as the um, leader of an underground movement. He's been in 73 things, including uh, he's in the Dennis Leary show, but there was like no IMDb credit for it, which was really weird. Um, I, it's been scrubbed from his record, I guess. Uh, he has been in a lot of Rescue Me and in Amazing Spider-Man as Captain Stacy. Bob Gunton is in this. Um, you would remember him as Warden Norton from Shawshank Redemption. Glenn Shadix, who's Otho from Beetlejuice. Rob Schneider is in this as a random police officer who stands near Sandra Bullock sometimes. And <laughs> Jack Black is in this as Wasteland Scrapper, who is sometimes standing near Dennis Leary. So, I, Jack Black um, blew me by. Like, I did not notice him. I did notice Rob Schneider, but not, not Jack Black. The story, we are in the future, the year of 1996. Ooh. <laughs> LA is in extreme disarray. It has fallen into a dystopian society, and much of it is ruled by Simon Phoenix, a crime lord, a.k.a. Wesley Snipes. The cops don't even go there anymore. They've literally just written it off. However, John Spartan is a renowned cop uh, and he must go to LA because there is a bunch of bus hostages and he has to go and save them. Uh, Phoenix and Spartan are longtime rivals. Uh, their fight kind of takes this massive head as he goes down to LA into his um, like hub and kills everybody trying to get at him. They're playing a dangerous game of chess where everyone makes one move and the other person's kind of like working out what to do next. So there's a lot of gasoline involved in this, this particular chess game. Um, <laughs> Phoenix, uh, Phoenix kind of gets the best of Spartan, lights up the scene, blows up the gasoline, but uh, Stallone manages to somehow grab snipes and chucks them over his shoulder and like runs down a hall as explosions are happening behind him. And I'm like, you're literally like firemen carrying snipes out of this scenario. This is ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> jumps out of the building just as it explodes. So he manages to get his man. But what he doesn't manage to do is save the host hostages, which were apparently in the building. Um, so all these people are dead and as a punishment, he is frozen and he is meant to be unfrozen at a later date, maybe 40 years down the road 
where he can perhaps get parole, but this, this is his punishment. 36 years later, however, Phoenix is up for parole. For some reason, he's up for parole sooner than Stallone. <laughs> Don't know why. Guess he, he had good behavior in there while he was unconscious. However, while, while they're asleep, they're supposed to be getting this retraining. Um, they're supposed to be finding, you know, these um, ways of like uh, getting their brain to be reworked so they're less violent. The, the reasons they've been put behind are supposed to be uh, being re-networked. Um, but with Phoenix, instead, he was given a bunch of computer hacking and kung fu while he was asleep, among many other skills. Uh, so as soon as he gets defrosted and he's in the middle of his meeting in front of the future warden, um, he's just like, yo, I know how to get out of this. Uh, <laughs> says the secret password. His cuffs come undone. He kills everybody in the room, steals the warden's eyeball, uses it to get out of the building, and he is on the loose. He is uh, out and about in the year 2032 in a future that is ba basically a virtual utopia. There's no violence, there's no crimes, there's no murders. So he is um, pretty much immediately spotted. Uh, there's a signal that's going off inside the police units that's like this code. And everyone's like, what does this code mean? And they discover it means murder. And they're like, no, it's been murdered here in like five years. This is, what are we, what are we supposed to do? Um, all the cops are basically mall cops at this point. They, they have no real authority. They have no real training. They really don't know what they're doing. Um, nobody ever crosses the line in this, this future world. It's illegal to do all kinds of things, um, including drink alcohol, eat meat, uh, engage in contact sports, use bad language, eat chocolate, spicy foods, have an abortion, um, or pregnancy without a license. Boy, Jeez. that escalated quickly. No spicy <laughs> foods and no abortions. Oh. I'm, I'm doing it in the same order they said it on screen. So <laughs> there you have it. Um, so the police are completely ill-equipped to deal with um, Phoenix. In fact, they, they do manage to surround him in a scene and they have this robot that they're talking to and they're like, uh, what do we, what do we say? And the robot's like, tell him to like pause and, and put down his weapon. Okay. Stop, put down your weapon. He's like, no. They're like, no, what? <laughs> Tell him with more force. <laughs> really put down your weapon. No. Um, so uh Sandra Bullock, who is one of the um police officers who's really been gunning for action, she finds this world very terribly boring. Um, she's obsessed with the 20th century and 20th century culture. And she gets this great idea that perhaps they should maybe figure out who took down um, Phoenix in the first place and unthaw them. So they bring Spartan out of this breezer. They, they unthaw him and they get him to come out to try and take down Phoenix. However, he doesn't really fit in this new world. He's pretty out of sync with it, considering he uh, cusses all the time. He smokes, he likes meat, he likes women, he's hot-tempered. Um, so basically the modern cops have to figure out how to work with him and he has to figure out how to work with them in this new society where he does not fit at all. Um, this movie is, it's awesome. <laughs> yes, yes. It's so good. I am, 
I, I was really worried. I was like, I'm not going to enjoy it. Everyone's going to be like, how did you not love this movie? It's incredible. And you'd be like, I don't know, because I have no sense of humor. But it is <laughs> fucking funny. It knows what it is. And it takes the piss out of itself constantly. Um, the characters and the situations are so satisfying. This future utopia is such a wet rag. And like, <laughs> it, there are just such great moments where you just see how awful their life is um for example um when they listen to the oldies station it's <laughs> just jingles it's just commercial <laughs> jingles so like the oscar meyer hot dog song or whatever they're like ah oh, this will be you'll love this old tune we know that you, your people were obsessed with this song and it's just like for dryer sheets or whatever <laughs> it, it just it has such good writing um there's a moment where like every God, there's an ongoing joke where every time somebody swears, especially Stallone's character, um, a little machine just, there's one on every wall in every room. It just spits out a piece of paper as a citation for swearing. And um, there's a point in which he doesn't know how to use the future restrooms because there's no toilet paper. There's the three shells, which is some joke that everyone else knew about that I did not, but that's fine. And so he just goes into a room and he just starts swearing. You're like, what is going on? And he just grabs all the citations. He's like, I'll be right back. <laughs> I was like, that's fucking good writing, you guys. Um, I, I would say one of the roles that I found really enjoyable was Benjamin Bratt, um, who's who's played... He's, he's one of the... Um, he's the guy from Law & Order who's just kind of a background police officer he's super naive and super like a believer of the system. And so every time the world, like when he takes a turn and starts to like dive into like things that are a little bit different and off and not part of the culture, it's just really, really fun to watch. Um, also as, as Kelly mentioned, Sandra Bullock is really wonderful in this film. You can see all the outlines of the kind of character that she will be taking on in future roles. The shape of uh, her her future performances starts to, to take shape in this, but she's young and spunky and energetic and really funny and fun. Stallone and Snipes are a great duo. Um, and it's just a weirdly accurate um, prediction of a lot of the future tech in this movie. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's that's what iPhones are. Wow, that's like an Amazon Echo. Wow, that's like a self-driving vehicle, which we're very soon to have. I'm sure by 2032, we will. Um, the bad things in this, um, due to stuff that we'll talk about here in a second, it doesn't answer a certain question about... Um, he, he asks as soon as he gets thought, like, what happened to my wife and daughter? They're like, well, your wife died and... He, his daughter somewhere out there. And he's like, well, I don't think I want to meet her because I don't think I'll, she'll be shocked by who I am as a person. And in this world, it won't make a lot of sense. And the whole time you're like, is Sandra Bullock, his daughter? And then like, they're kind of having virtual sex and you're like, ah, I hope not. <laughs> and then the movie ends and you're like, who was his fucking daughter? Um, there's also, um, a couple of moments where they, you know, make reference to other Stallone films, which I never enjoy. There's also an awkward Asian culture appropriation thing going on. And I, it's, it's cringy and it's of the time and it sucks. Um, trivia, a couple of fun things here. The tagline for this movie is the future isn't big enough for both of them. Um, <laughs> The title was originally taken from the police's song of the same name. 
hence um, the use of Sting to uh, remake the song for the movie. The opening set was inspired from the Los Angeles riots that happened just six months before the filming began. Uh, This film is potentially stolen. A Hungarian science fiction writer, Istav Namir, says that most of Demolition Man is based on his novel Holtak uh, Harka, Fight of the Dead, published in 1986. In the novel, a terrorist and a counter-terrorism soldier are cryogenically frozen, then awakened in the 22nd century to find violence has been purged from society. Namir claimed that a committee proved that 75% of the movie is identical to the book. However, he chose not to sue because it would have been too expensive for him to hire a lawyer. So they got away with it. Um, Yeah, it's upsetting. Um, Sylvester Stallone wanted Simon Phoenix to be played by Jackie Chan. Uh, Chan and Stallone are actually really good friends. However, Chan declined since Asian audiences don't like the idea of actors who've always been played as heroes suddenly playing evil characters. Uh, Sandra Bullock replaced Lori Petty after a few days of filming. So originally, Lori Petty was supposed to be in that role. Adrian Barboa is the computer voice in this, <laughs> much like in The Thing. Um, Wesley Snipes, uh, his kicks and punches sometimes look lurchy and awkward in the film. Um, this is because he's an accompl- accomplished black belt in real life, and his kicks and punches were so fast that they blurred on camera. So the producers asked him to slow them down. <laughs> How cool is that? Like, my kicks are so fast. I had to slow them down for the camera. <laughs> I wonder that was if it, an old that was an old Bruce Lee thing too. Remember yeah. they had to they had to yeah. use they had to use faster film. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you couldn't see what he's actually doing. That's but, um, incredible. Which makes me wonder why they didn't just do that with this. Yeah. Probably yeah, that's a great question. I, I don't know. The producers sound like they were a little bit out of touch uh, on this one, which, again, we'll get to in a sec. Um, for some non-American releases, taco uh, references to Taco Bell were changed to Pizza Hut, since the former was virtually unknown in many foreign countries at the time. This included dubbing plus changing logos during post-production. Wesley Snipes hated his blonde dye job and shaved his head as soon as filming was complete. However, uh, NBA player Dennis Rodman loved the look and began dyeing his hair different colors uh, inspired by Simon Phoenix. <laughs> Warner Brothers had a massively um, did a massive re-edit uh, using Stuart Baird, uh, an editor, um, after the initial cut came out. They took out several scenes, including violent scenes and also a plot where Spartan meets his grown-up daughter. Hmm. In uh, in one scene, we see him protecting a woman in a shootout in the sewers, and that was meant to be his daughter. Um, the cuts led to major continuity errors in the final act, as several scenes of Stallone fighting various war criminals that had been dethawed were cut out. Um, also deleted was an infamous fight scene between Stallone and Jesse Ventura. And uh, Stuart Barrett was also hired to do another major recut of uh, the Stallone movie, Tango and Cash. So Stallone must fucking hate this guy. Um, <laughs> it was free on Showtime until uh, yesterday, which is how I saw it. So. Until yesterday. <laughs> I would have thought by this time, Stallone would have had enough clout to, you know, often he had... Uh, he had director's choice and all of that stuff on his film. So I would think he'd have a final cut approval. Uh, I guess not for this. I mean, Warner brothers, maybe it was the budget was 
too high or they just, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure what it was, but on this one he did out. Cause yeah, he definitely did with things like Cobra. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what made them say, no, you don't get it. <laughs> yeah. He does do I'm, some fun, busy work at one point though. I can't remember what it was, but I remember going, you just, he just loves to be like, I don't know, whatever people do with this particular object. I'm going to, I was like, this is pizza and scissors all over again. <laughs> I I'm just thrilled that you enjoyed this movie yes. because I, I saw this in the theater. Also, I also hated Wesley Snipes die job and I hate the title. I think it's Demolition Man is a really bad title and they don't reference it very often. And you're like, uh, no one's like, let's get the demolition man. And it, it, right. like, I think it just never makes sense. Yeah. But otherwise I think this is a very, very fun movie. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad you guys kind of shoved me in this direction when I when I asked for your opinion on ideas. What was what was your other choice going to be? Um, volcano, which is just not a good movie. Demolition uh, Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tommy Lee. We'll get we'll get to him eventually. But sure. Oh, sure. We'll do a Tommy Lee episode. Ooh. Alrighty. So I have gone with a definite cult classic. Not. A hit at the box office, as you'll hear very soon. For I mean, yeah, 1984, Repo Man. Meet Otto. He's a clean-cut kid in a dirty business. He repossesses cars. He's a Repo Man. You're going to give me my car back, or do I got to go to your house and shove your dog's head down the toilet? His mission is to repossess a 64 Chevy, but hidden within its trunk. What you got in the trunk? You don't want to look in there. Is the most important discovery in the history of our planet. Repo Man. It's a mystery. Suppose you're thinking about a plate of shrimp. Suddenly somebody will say, like, plate or shrimp or plate of shrimp. Out of the blue, no explanation. It's a comedy. What are you doing? Don't do that! It's a chase. It's the forces of law. Marlene, I'm on my coffee break. Against the representatives of discontented youth. Against the finest minds in government. I had a lobotomy in the end. Lobotomy? Isn't that for loonies? Not at all. And they're all in pursuit of a 64 Chevy Malibu from who knows where. Blam! Eyes melt, skin explodes, everybody dead. Repo Man. The story of the ultimate repossession. Repo Man. Not just a job, it's an adventure. Now this is a weird weirder movie than i remembered but I, and at the same time a lot more straightforward than i remembered it's very weird but it was uh ron tomatoes has it at 98 from the critics and 78 from the audience like hey, whatever yeah both <laughs> the, higher than the militia man <laughs> yeah uh the budget if you look on imdb the budget says 1.6 million but if you look at the criterion collection book about it, it says $160,000, which sounds a lot more plausible. They actually have the budget of the film in the uh, booklet. Wow. $160,000? Yeah, all the actor, almost all the actors were um, 
paid, we're supposed to get paid, uh, referred right. stuff. So that's oh, why, right. and you know, if you look at the cast, there's some names, there's some names, but there's also, that's, there's yeah, names that's why that I was like, wow, how'd they get, I would imagine there are names that would have said, you know what, this is a fun, goofy thing. I'll take my salary later. And of course, Emilio Estevez really wasn't much. He was right on that cusp when this was shot, you know, 84, that's a little bit before breakfast club. And so, or underground from breakfast club, because the box office for this movie was 129,000. Oh no. (laughs) And back in the eighties, box office mattered. It was not just a festival release. It was a flop. Wow. Uh, The stars of the film, the frequently seen Harry Dean Stanton, 205 credits with TV shows ranging from the mid fifties till 2017. Jesus. The man was in everything. Uh, highlight f- movie, TV show would probably be Twin Peaks, but he was also in Christine, Alien, Escape from New York, just tons of amazing films. Uh, Emilio Estevez is the lead in this, and he played, he was in Mighty Ducks 1 through 3, uh, Young Guns, and of course, Breakfast Club. And there's also Tracy Walter, who's in The, uh, the Hand. The 70s film, The Hand, Conan the Destroyer, Batman, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Olivia Brash, who was in a movie directed and written by the same person who did Repo Man. She was in Repo Chick. <laughs> Grave, Se- Grave Secrets, American Hot Wax. And a man with what might be one of the better names I've run into on IMDb, Dick Rude. He was in Night of the Comet and Senate Sid and Nancy. Uh, so this is ex- executive produced by Michael Nesmith, who's, you know, a little name in entertainment from the monkeys and the idea man for MTV's uh, kickoff. So he's, he's done some stuff. And uh, the movie is, it's not a plot driven film. It's a, it's, and it's not quite a slice of life movie either. It sits in some weird area in between. It's not really a three act, um, but it's also not just like dazing and fused where it's like, this is what happened that day when you're hanging out. It's, it happens over a series of time, but it's really just the story of Estevez's character figuring out he's kind of a, <laughs> kind of a loser who needs to get his shit together. But the movie starts with a cop pulling a guy over and the police officer wants to look in the trunk and guy drives says, go ahead. So he opens the trunk and it's like Pulp Fiction with the the glow coming out the trunk and the guy disappears except for his boots. (laughs) I was like, oh, all right. And that is barely a factor until about the middle of act two, maybe. (laughs) And they get this wild opening that you're like, so then it goes to Amelia's character establishing what he's about. And he gets fired from his job. Now, one of the fun things about Repo Man, which is probably not relatable if you didn't grow up in the 80s and maybe into the early 90s, there used to be an aisle in every supermarket that was the generic food aisle. And everything in that aisle was in a black and white box or can. And uh, this movie has a version of those. They're actually more like they're blue and white, but it's the same kind of deal. And so he's, he's, they're stacking stuff. But while they're looking at this generic aisle, the guy he's working with is singing a 7-Up jingle. (laughs) 
So I was like, okay, that's kind of clever. <laughs> Obviously, the film is a punk music attitude with a anti-authoritative, um, anti-consumerism kind of bend to it. Uh, Emilio has uh, goes to a punk scene with, I think, the Circle Jerks are a featured band in this, and here suicidal tendencies and uh, Iggy Pop wrote a song for it. Um, but Emilio, after getting fired, is kind of tricked into becoming a repo man, where the guy pulls up and says, hey, you want to help me get my wife's car back home after this? I can't let leave it. <laughs> so, But he's actually pretty good at it. Um, the Then the movie is, for a long time, and very entertainingly, is about him fighting against becoming a repo man and then realizing, you know, I'm really good at this. I can make a lot of money because it sounds like repo, at least according to this movie, I, I don't know the life of a repo man that well. They were played on a percentage of what a car is worth. So like if you uh, repoed a $20,000 car, you get a $2,000 bonus. So you can make a lot of money if you're repoing the right cars. Uh, but so that's why he joins in. <laughs> while, while the guy's explaining to him, we get a nice little moment of him going home before he fully commits. And he goes home to his family for watching evangelical people on TV. And he grabs a can of food. <laughs> just what it says. Food. <laughs> Opens it up, eats it with a spoon. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Later on, he buys a six-pack of drink. Wow, that is really generic. Um, but his family has given away all their money to this TV and evangelical, so he can't borrow from them. So it's like, I really am stuck stealing cars, basically. Legally stealing cars. Runs into a lady in the middle who he starts flirting with, and there's sort of an emotional thing kind of there. Later on, she called it a relationship. I'm like, really? <laughs> you hung out a couple times, I guess. I don't know. But uh, there's a great trust. Tracy Wilter, Walter plays a really cool uh, UFO theorist, shall we say? And uh, has this, he doesn't drive. You know why? Because the more you drive, the less intelligent you are. Story checks out. <laughs> so it comes around now where it ties back into the beginning is that uh, Chrysler, I think it is comes up as a $20,000 repo. If you get it, it's not 10%. You get 20 grand. Uh, so, of course, all the repo guys, because there's you know, two, two, two battling repo men in there. There's the one group and the other group, and they race every once in a while and get in kind of car wrecks. And like I said, there's not a lot of story. There's just a lot of fun stuff happening. Yeah, it's almost set up like they're uh, bounty hunters, and then a bounty yeah. comes up, and you've got all these repo hunters trying to get this car first. Yes, exactly. There's now comes in this weird shadow organization that is looking the ones looking for the car that put out the repo amount, and the lady is in charge of it has this wonderful Michael Jackson sequin glove <laughs> that she wears, and she is the mother of the lady he's been in the relationship with there's also a series of three thieves showing up at random times 
And they're, re- they're actually really cleverly used because they, the first time they show up, they have absolutely no interaction with anybody other than the person they're robbing. And they're friends of Emilio, but they come into the place right after they've left robbing it. And then later on, they get closer and closer until they run into each other in a uh, volatile situation. So it's cleverly done for what would be, a, we have to have this violent scene at the end where these, all these people are shot. And instead of just having a generic robbery going on that they walk into, they actually build this series of these three thieves who have a whole other series of stuff going on. And as soon as that scene happens, they're all gone, but it builds up to that really well. And they interact with the truck a little bit. So it's, it's a really well-written film. And of course he finds the car by total accident. Gets in a fight with his mentor, gets kicked out of the car and is walking along the street and goes, oh, there it is. Like, okay. And the, the guy driving the car sees that Emilio is running after him. So he just stops and let him get, lets him get in the car. <laughs> it's like, this is a little weird. Um, and from that point on, the movie gets very strange. <laughs> very strange. Um I don't feel I should explain too much beyond it because it won't make any sense. And if you want to watch this film, which I, if you like weird movies at all, or Emilio Estevez, <laughs> you should definitely check this film out. There's a lot going on. I watched it on the Criterion release. So, and whew, that is nice. It looks so good. Um, the few things I'll touch on, like when the, car is finally seen it glows (laughs) like crazy which looks hilarious but comes up very interestingly in the notes and trivia about this thing so i'll start with the taglines a repo man is always intense but only a fool gets killed for a car okay not just a job it's an adventure (laughs) and it's 4 a.m do you know where your car is (laughs) That one's solid. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there's a lot in the movie about the guys talking about, yeah, we do crank and cocaine stuff because you're always got to be awake as a repo man. You never know when you're going to get that car. <laughs> okay. Uh, the three villains I, or the three thieves I mentioned earlier contribute a little bit, probably the most, to the rough acting in the movie. Uh, most of the acting is very good. Because you know, the people I rattled off have all been in hundreds of things. Um, but they're a little rough, but at the same time, it really works. You know, when you see an actor who's not doing what seems like good acting, but it works for the character. So eh, that worked all right. I was okay with that. This was director Alex's Cox, Cox <laughs> sorry there, second movie, uh, and he followed it up with Sid and Nancy. So wow. he uh, hit big with his third film. And he was also one of the stunt drivers in the in Repo Man. <laughs> no spec. Here, here's the part that I'm like, I'm watching the movie going, I, I, I think I believe you guys, but really, there were no special effects used to make the Chevy Malibu glow. Uh, instead, the car was completely coated with 3M reflective paint at a price of $600 per bucket. Like, Boy, if that's true, that shit really glows. <laughs> it looks like uh, yeah, glow sticks turned up to 10, and it is really, really bright. 
Yeah, wow. that's that's really surprising to me. <laughs> so it's, I, I, I I'll take their word for it. You know, <laughs> uh, Iggy Pop is interviewed on the uh, Criterion about the song he was asked to write. At the time, he was approached to write the song. Yeah, you know, punk in '84 was definitely a moving to the background style of film. Yeah. He was almost completely broke living uh, in an apartment a little bit away from the whiskey and with a woman who was paying all the bills, had no furniture. It's like, wow, I did not realize he fell that hard. But uh, this was kind of a, a big one for him because the director said, "Go, hey, I want you to make a movie for this movie or a song for this movie. He's like, well, what kind of song? Whatever you want to make, you do the song, I'll put it in the movie. And uh, it was a, it did well. It was one of those you know, soundtracks that does better than the movie. So <laughs> let's see. Harry wanted to do a baseball signal to for Estevez for a way to show him which car to go after. And apparently the director hates sports so much, he refused that suggestion completely. And uh, in the commentary... Uh, Alex Cox says that Stanton lost his temper at that, says, I've worked with the greatest directors of all time, Francis Ford Coppola, Monty Hellman. You know why they're great? Because they let me do whatever the fuck I wanted. Wow. I miss Harry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I find that that a little more believable than the paint (laughs) that that could have happened. Oh, the one of the sponsors of the movie, one of the people who provided budgets, was the makers of those Christmas tree air fresheners. So you see them everywhere. They're in every car. Uh-huh. The cop that pulls them over at the beginning has one in his motorcycle. Uh, <laughs> they show up in key moments, like hanging off of a lock in one scene. <laughs> so there, there's a great line where uh, one of the repo guys says, "Yeah, one of those in every car. You'll see." And then for the rest of the movie, <laughs> you sure do. One of the guys, uh, the one of the thieves, Kevin the Nerd, was his character's name, ended up joining the Circle Jerks after the production ended. Oh, wow. And played as part of the soundtrack when they did the recorded the soundtrack for the movie. He was on, he was with the Circle Jerks at that time. Final weird little note, all the repo men, except for Otto, who's Emilio, are named after beers. Uh. Not so as you notice, though. There's no cores or anything. It's like Bud, Miller, <laughs> and uh. Light. <laughs> so, Repo Man, an excellent view. Uh, if you like cult films, if you like Emilio Estevez, if you just like weird, goofy films, it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I. this was a really important film to me when I was 15. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I went back and rewatched it as an adult and I almost hated it. But I think that, um, I think that that music and that rebellion and everything just, you know, my brain was like looking for that kind of shit. You know, the, uh, the other thing is, you know, when I, when I sold everything, moved to LA and then I had to move back and left a bunch of stuff there. One of the very few things I kept was a very few numbers of uh, my original vinyl. And that Repo Man soundtrack was one of them. And that was actually what got me on my new vinyl kick of buying a record player and all that. Because I had come across 
my repo man record. And I was like, God damn it. I don't even have anything to play this on. That's great. And, and so I was like, I'm going to get me a record player again. And, and now I'm thousands of dollars into vinyl again. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the suicidal tendency songs institutionalized was, you know, one that I liked a lot as a kid. And my dad heard me playing one time. My dad was a psychologist specializing in uh, children and teens. And he's like, hmm, I'm going to use that song. <laughs> and he went on to, he shared the song with apparently with several of his uh, uh, patients because it's very much about, I'm the person I am because of your institutions, your churches. And it's, right. it's a fun song. I like that one. <laughs> uh, another fun fact about that on that soundtrack is a Spanish version of Secret Agent Man by a yeah. band, The Plugs. And the singer of the plugs would go on to form Tito and Tarantula, which is the band in From Dust Till Dawn, the vampire band. So just one of those weird things. Quick, ask me who the secretary of state is. <laughs> no fucking idea. I got no space for that kind of information. But I do know Tito and the Tarantula. That's right. Tito La Riva from Tito and Tarantula. There you go. I hope you're listening, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good choices, guys. I think that yeah. that brings us to uh, next week's choice, Era. Yeah, we'll keep it. We'll keep it with this wide-ranging idea of finding something you want to watch, like Blue Sunshine or something that you haven't seen in, before in a long time, and a movie that's featuring reporters or journalists in some capacity, writers that do research to get stuff done. Kind of thing. I love it. Fun. Yeah, I like it. I like it when we do these uh, when we do these really tight things, and you're kind of stuck choosing between eight films, and there's three of us fighting over which one we want to do. <laughs> and, I, and I like it when it's wide open. It's like, well, this one has to take place on the continent of North America. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Woo! <laughs> um, all right. Well, this is where um, it's so funny when that rattling kicks in. It's just like, you never know when. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> you can't hear that at all. Vanessa? No. Oh, that's weird. It. That's wild. That's crazy. Okay. So that uh, brings me to the part where I thank everybody for uh, participating in the value for value model. Thank and you. it also brings thank me you. to uh, a note Danny Williford had dropped right after we had done our. Uh, Post stories episode. He, the entire reason for the episode was because of the letter he sent me. <laughs> and right. we answered all these questions. Then he comes and sends a bunch of questions that don't show up until after we've recorded the episode. <laughs> Way to go, Danny. Thank you, um, Danny. <laughs> but this one, this one actually ties into what we're talking about. He says, Value for value, in my honest opinion, is a hit and a stroke of genius. Let me just say that was not my idea. The value for value <laughs> model is, is, on a lot of podcasts and all that yeah. stuff. So he says, I would like to maximize the effectiveness of my return to SAR. How could we as the strange eons radio army communicate with you to achieve this? Well, uh, liking and sharing posts is like the easiest way to do any of that stuff. When yeah. you see a post pop up and you hit like somehow in the algorithm, that means other people are going to see it, you know, and if enough people do it, more people see it. So yeah. that helps and costs nobody. A thing yeah and it's honestly like we've looked at and done a couple small facebook ads somebody sharing the item 
or sharing the post did more yeah, and does more than the, <laughs> the paid ads. And let's, let's, you know, you got to spare five grand or something. You want to jump on a giant campaign, which yeah, we don't. <laughs> right. And then yeah. another way is um, you can send donations our way to the, uh, what is it? Buy us a coffee. Yeah. I, I think we actually have it at buy, buy a pizza on there. I, a note on buy me a pizza, which uh, we'll be looking at reevaluating here just to make sure everything still works. They are, they're uh, canceling their use of PayPal. Oh, um, and they're now using a different pay system, which I have set up for us. So if you're comfortable moving off of PayPal, you can use that. If not, drop us a note and uh, we'll get you the PayPal way to use since you hit, you know, hit us on Facebook or Instagram messaging. We'll get the right stuff. And if it doesn't work out, we'll figure another option. But right now, buy me a pizza still works great. So. Right. And if you decide to drop, you know, a, a chunk of money, you know, the $50 level gets you into our, um, our IMDB credits. Oh, yes. Stuff like that. So don't forget that. Also, we do have a, uh, is it an Etsy store, Eric? Yes. Or, yeah, we do have an Etsy store where you can get Strange Eons Radio merchandise and stuff. And, you know, there's not, we have priced things um, to be just a couple dollars more than they cost. So they're not, they're not really making us any money. But you walking around with a Strange Eons Radio shirt, that's value for value. That's, that's awesome. free advertising. Yeah. yeah. And so, somebody's, yeah. somebody's got to spend money at our Etsy store other than me. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think I've bought pretty much everything on there except for maybe the Tumblr. <laughs> well, get on that. What? That Tumblr ain't good enough for you? Those shirts, though, those tri blends. Top notch. Super comfy. Super so comfy. comfy. But yeah, that's part of why we had to go a little higher in the price. We decided to get good t shirts that you'd like to wear as opposed to trying to get you to give us $20 for a t shirt that washes four times. Right. So, worth it. Yeah. So, so. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who's doing that. Thank you, Danny, for asking about that. You're the biggest sweetheart in the world. Um, I, I talk to him almost, well, text him almost <laughs> daily. So just a little thing to say hi. So I really appreciate that friendship and, and everything that everybody is doing for the show. So uh, I believe that's it. My nose is starting to get really stuffed up again, and my throat is very scratchy, and I'm ready to go sit on the couch and watch a bunch of bad movies again. Nice. What a way to start 2022. <laughs> hey, you know what? Just another day. Just another day, guys. I don't look at it that way. Because if I did, I'd have to kill myself. Yeah. It's healthier. 20, the whole 2022 thing oh, has gone around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, hey, everybody, be nice to each other. And uh, we will see you probably uh, we'll be recording in person next week right because i yeah. should be past all this crap and I, my test should have come back to show that i am negative by then and uh and we won't have any uh hidden rattlers anywhere nice so. perfect all right i'll see you guys later and i'll see uh the listeners right after that <laughs> yeah get better happy new year everybody happy new year bye 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 <laughs> Strange Eons Radio is artisanal quality podcasting, handcrafted with all natural ingredients, and edited to perfection by Eric Morgret. Our blistering theme song is Strange Eons Part 1 by the band Nightshade and is used with permission. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider dropping a positive review on Apple Podcasts.
I, I have been 0% excited about this. 